0: Welcome back to our spooky area of podcasting (laughs) Uh, that we uh, call uh, uh, uh. Kings of King, who I don't think wrote much, if at all, about vampires. Uh, Well, Pennywise takes the form of a vampire at one point, but or a werewolf, I guess. Hmm. Werewolf in this one. He also did Cycle of the Werewolf. I don't know if King touched vampires much. That's someone, weird. Yeah, someone tell us in the comments. I'm if sure
1: f- there is. There's definitely vampiric stuff.
0: Vampiric king. That but we're not over- like yeah.
1: classic vampires that I can t- think of.
0: He usually zhuzhes it up with like a, yeah, it's like a demon, ancient demon god that absorbs uh-huh. energy. But it's still kind of a vampire. I'm okay. one of your hosts, Michael Swaim. With me, as always, is my best bud.
1: Hi, I'm Abe Epperson. I'm the other king of king. That was clipped
0: out almost as if it was like your outgoing voicemail message. I love that. Mm. Punch that out easy. Make a ringtone. Make a text thing. Oh,
1: baby. Yeah, then everyone (laughs) will understand.
0: Hi, every time you get a text. Hi, (laughs) I'm Abe Efferson, the other host of Kings of King. Oh, I got to answer this. Um, Oh, shit. How you been, Man. Oh man, it's been a while since we've right? seen each other. And Jesus. I, yeah, I said it's, and it's been a while since like the small beans have heard an on camera, so to speak, catch up. Like, cause I, I'll, on my part, I've been so busy with the day job that I have not done nearly as, and I feel it and I feel bad about it, nearly oh. as much like streaming, which in, which invites, you know, the ability to interact with the beans and stuff. Or like, I haven't even really been able to hang out on the Game Flea Unemployed stream as much as I'd like. So, I feel like we'd have included anyone in or updated anyone on how things are going. How are you?
1: Dude, I'm, I mean, all the copy paste, all the stuff you're usually supposed to say, mm-hmm. uh, at the heart of it, I'm pretty good, man. Uh, I'm really excited about the thing that we wrote. Uh, yeah. you did most of the heavy lifting, but I'm just excited to be back in the saddle. It, encouraged me to write more myself alone which was great uh so I've been doing that a little bit I've been uh you know doing some family stuff and uh just all around just kind of like trying to keep in touch with my roots it's so hard to do I know everyone's kind of having that problem but just like trying to keep all like it's so easy to let all the fires simmer down to low because of this stuff and I'm just like, I don't know, encouraged to not allow that to happen. So hopefully if you're a good friend of mine and I haven't reached out to you recently,
0: I'm going to. So that's kind of my new drive. How about you? Yeah, Well, just to tantalize people a little bit, I think I can say, yeah, we worked on a spec pilot. We still are working on it. Mm. And uh, I'll just say it's like Always Sunny meets Silicon Valley meets Blackadder. Which is a good It's fun. It's a good mix. Meets MacGyver a little bit. It's, yeah,
1: Middle Aged, or Middle Aged, Medieval Times MacGyver. I I think
0: MacGyver was Middle Aged MacGyver. Yeah, he was Middle
1: Aged. I I meant Middle Ages, but.
0: Yeah, Middle Ages MacGyver. Yeah. Middle Earth macgyver you know <laughs> gluing a fan belt to a hobbit and making a bomb just yeah that's how you make that's bombs. the pilot that's the show yeah. um yeah i feel like extra cut off just because i moved to san francisco for the new day job at ign and immediately went into quarantine so i don't i haven't yeah. seen my best friends i definitely thought I would be free to visit L.A. and live that like lifestyle where you're like, yeah, I live in the Bay. I pop down to L.A. pretty frequently or, you know, but I haven't seen right. anyone. And and in my new city, I just started making friends that I could theoretically see, but they don't want to see me. <laughs> and I can't even like I haven't done any San Francisco shit or gone anywhere. I Because mm-hmm. I used to visit the Bay all the time, you know, as you well know, with you and hit all the stuff and like now i live here and i constantly find myself forgetting oh shit like golden gate park is here it's like right there i just don't go there because i can't (laughs) you can't have access to it let me ask that awesome place abe and i went 10 odd years ago i live there now but it doesn't feel like it because i don't go to those places
1: i know i know and it's a wonderful city to just walk around um let me yeah. ask you something. Do mm-hmm. G- you ever still interested in stand-up?
0: Oh, like, yeah. Doing very stand-up? much so. Like yeah. when
1: uh, quarantine uh, settles down and like comedy clubs open up, are you going to
0: do like shows in San Francisco, you think? I will if you will. I'm not in San Francisco. No, no. I mean, uh, what if we challenged each other to do some open mics? I don't want to. I've only I've done like three open mics and I hate it. Well, then why are you asking me? Uh, you're the stuff? you're
1: the. Hey, man, you're the front facing part of this <laughs> collaboration. Okay, I don't need to go in front of a part. microphone. Oh no, I'm in front of a microphone. <laughs> That's right. We're fucked. Uh, uh, we're yeah, fucked. I've, yeah I I was a the performer answer. for a little bit but uh you know I don't know I think it's a muscle you flex
0: I No should it's weird say flex. you asked a that I actually build been, up. I've been thinking about stand up a lot lately I do really want to do that when we're able uh mm-hmm. and this and right now uh I've been you know cuz that's like why I'm not streaming and shit and you're on top of my small bean schedule but work is crushingly Uh, busy right now because it's like the video game convention season and they are they are letting me do a block of programming for gamescom which is a big european video game convention that will have like it's modeled like a late night talk show so my opening monologue will just be stand-up like i'm just gonna write a tight 10 yeah so i'm excited for that but yeah real stand-up in a venue would be fun
1: yeah, I love rap. your stuff over there. It always reminds me of, even though it's just because it's the same voice and the same pen, but it always reminds me of like Does Not Compute and stuff where you just had a monologue where you
0: could just play with words. Yep. I, I just you- bought my new host suit. Ooh. Yeah, it's very does not compute. The only th- the only caveat is it will be about the minutiae of video games revealed at Gamescom. So it's not quite as broad as just like, hey, nah. did you see this crazy thing on YouTube, you know, or did you hear this in the news? It's very specific stand up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but you got to give something to the epic gamers, you know, got to give it to the gamers. Maybe not we the do. movies. We do. Hey.
0: It's genuine. We got one-upsmanship long yeah, before I joined for IGN. sure. We're gamers. We, we game. game.
1: We game. We have parties. We have parties. <laughs> <laughs> we got 7-Up. We got Lickory. <laughs> uh, but I do.
0: I miss you, dude. I'll be down in LA for the shoots, and I we should find a way to see yeah, each other somehow. Yeah. Uh,
1: there's, there's always a quarantine safe way, even if it's just waving at each other from... I thought we could like go to the
0: park and eat watermelon far from each other Mm -hmm. and yell. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Scream
1: a conversation. No one's gonna be there. We'll just scare some dogs or something. I don't
0: know. That's right. So this has been your Small Beans update, just to clue you in on what's going on. Let's get back on the rails, huh? Feels yeah. like time. Yeah,
1: so Kings of Kings. That's right. Back and to Kings of King. n- El-
0: Paul I feel like a, a good chunk of Small Beans will be pleased we did that. Some chunk will be like, skip 30 seconds, what the skip fuck 30 is seconds, this? skip 30 get seconds. <laughs> shit that I'm talking about. So this is
1: yeah. 1990s miniseries, not to be confused with the more modern equivalent of the, the movie and its sequel. Uh, this is the miniseries made for TV movie. That's it. right. We're talking about it,
0: which is mm. hard to talk about without being confusing because it's such a short word that you hear so often. We're yeah. talking about it. Stephen King's it. I re- in the Amazon store to differentiate from the new movies. It's called. Stephen King's It exclamation point, which is a terrible title.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh on Amazon and streaming, I believe, so you can watch it yourself. It's very 1990s and it's very TV, which was kind of my before we like jump into it. Mm-hmm. I forgot how different TV was 30 years ago. You know? Speak to that. Well, it uh from an age... TV was not bold back then. You're like, we had a golden age of television. So it held back actual terror uh, and does, like, very lame, I would oh, say... Oh,
0: bold and horror, you, you mean. Yeah. I'm like, like Roots the jump was bold. I can are, think of bold stuff, but like yeah. Like, the
1: first, like, four beats we get with Pennywise in this are, like, jump scares that I wouldn't even call jump scares. It's mostly just, like, yeah, clown is creepy and now he's got sharp teeth. You know? It's just... You it's basically kind of you're you forget what you're signing up for uh, with 1990s mm-hmm. TV where like they couldn't show blood. Like, in fact, this one made waves because it showed blood. Um, oh,
0: it's like all it does is show blood. Yeah. That's there's
1: coming out of sinks. There's skeletons grabbing from a pond. But it's blood balloons at best. Just like off putting for today's audiences, wouldn't you say?
0: I would say, look up, you fool! Look all around you. It may it may be transparent, but we've been trapped under the dome. <laughs> under the dome. <laughs> Our best guess puts the dome at twenty thousand feet, sir. Did he just call it a dome? You think we might be stuck in here a Yeah, we're clearly under the dome on this. I think mm-hmm. we should go on and do it. Yeah. Um, I agree with you, and. Ooh, I have I have a take and I don't know when to deploy it because not it under the dome. Under the dome, right now t- we just want okay. an elevator synopsis. I can do. It will it inevitably on. take over the whole the whole thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Under the domus.
1: I'll take I'll take you there. Uh, I guess easy way. I mean, what are you under a rock? <laughs> do I need to explain it to you? Like seven adult, oh, actually six adults, like reconvene at their childhood town in order to thwart a demon clown. Uh, from killing more kids, and it happens every. It's been happening for like two hundred years in Dairy, uh, their town, and we see flash. We see flashbacks of them as the kids uh, are taking are going up against the clown twenty seven years ago, and uh, they pushed it back to being like dormant. Uh, and the the seven people are the loser club, and that's Bill, Eddie. I think I'm gonna get it right. Ben, Mike.
0: Grumpy, sneezy, and
1: Doc. Uh, Richie, Stan, and Beverly. Part one covers the story mainly in flashback. The kids fighting Pennywise. So people who have only seen the um, recent films, it's kind of paginated in the same way. Part one and part two. Part one covers mainly the kids fighting Pennywise the first time, but it has um, it's along with backstories and there's a like f- framing device in part one. That returns us to the present. Um, Bill basically calls everyone and tells them, come back to Derry. It's back. Mike. Mike. Mike does. I uh, apologize. Yeah. Bill's our main character inexplicably still. Uh, Never but, miss a anyway. mic. Uh, but we end on the reveal that like Stan uh, <laughs> kills himself. Or maybe that's the beginning of part two. Did you watch it on Amazon? Because they cut I it off to it. one
0: three-hour, seven-minute film. I watched it seem together as a film, as yeah. a three-hour movie, yeah. And, and part, I had never seen it before, which you haven't either, which we should flag.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Part two is the reunion of the losers gang, and the destruction of it altogether. We continue the flashbacks to the youth as they like kind of reconnect with places in Derry, because now they're here as adults, uh, which is kind of nice because it kind of gives this vibe of uh, you know like returning to a place. They haven't been for like 20 years, but it mainly takes place in the present. So we kind of have part one past, part two present with a little bit of uh, in between
0: between the two. And that's like I would argue, though, all that all the, this TV version is much more which the book is. Uh, it tries to be more simultaneous. Like it's constantly yeah, it going in the present. This happens. Move the story beat one beat. Mm-hmm. But that reminds him of when this happened in the past, because their memories are also coming back because they've returned to Derry. Because when you leave, you gain amnesia of Pennywise. That's one of his powers. So now that they're coming back, they're like constantly really? having flashbacks. Oh, there's a couple. It's explicated in the book, but they mentioned it a couple times. I didn't. Very they obliquely. Do, but I thought it was, that was uh, King saying like,
1: it was so traumatic that like that's what they did They forgot
0: Oh it. no it's literally One of his alien powers You okay. can't remember That he that fucked with you That yeah. makes more sense Because I was very and Hesitant And that's why with the in theory, that. The cops don't investigate Crimes And a hundred kids can die And people just go I guess that's just life That's part of Pennywise's mind control Over the town that so, yeah, reading the book, obviously, there's a little more context, but yeah. um, I just was saying that the, it's more simultaneous, whereas the new movies were really like, this one is about the kids, flash forward, this one's about the adults. Very much so. But yeah, continue. Uh,
1: well, that's like it, I guess. <laughs> that's that's it. it. I mean, like, that. I, I want to kind of, like, any scenes that you want to, like, touch upon, uh, I feel like we can do that during another confusing segue during it uh but that's we're right. not well, this there is, yet we this have this is another, one of our eponymous <laughs> segments yeah. yeah we have a segment called it where we talk scene work themes and uh symbolism but that's not that right now so i feel like we unless you have anything to add to under the dome we can hop over to skeleton crew
0: yeah the dome's crashing down around us revealing yeah. some spooky skeletons <laughs>
1: In the shut the doors shut the doors. yeah so skeleton crew is about the creative team any any interesting behind the scenes trivia that we read about um this one doesn't have a terrible amount do you have any th- i have a few things but do you got anything because i just talked i have
0: almost nothing i mean the there the cast is full of uh people that I Jeez, lit yeah. up where I was like, oh, that's interesting that it's them. John right. Ritter is one of my favorite comedic actors yeah. of all time. Like John Ritter in uh Bad Santa is a fucking master class <laughs>
1: in comedy <laughs> acting, but You know what's crazy at this time? Mm-hmm. The biggest like poll
0: was Harry Anderson who's like a lesser. I was gonna say then you got Harry comedian. Anderson. Well yeah. he was big on he was big these. at the time sitcom about a judge and I forget it what Knight it's court. called night court. court thank yeah. you which also had uh no I'm confusing John things layer kit.
1: That's was right, that John Larroquette. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I was trying to think of John Larroquette and Harry Anderson. And Harry Anderson was in a bunch of stuff. He also was, became like synonymous with Dave Barry. Like Any Dave Barry thing right? that got adapted, right. it would be Harry Anderson. He has a very charming air. I like him. He's a throwback actor, though. He For feels sure. like For he could sure. only exist oh, on dude, 90s there's TV. One,
1: there's one performance that he like puts a, his like hand to his face like, oh, brother. And it's like, oh, jeez. <laughs> this is dude, really 90s. We'll get into it, but <laughs> yeah. when
0: it tries to tell us what funny people are like and what comedians are like, uh, Stephen King does not know what... He doesn't... Come. I don't know. I don't really trust him around a joke. Like I just didn't know what he was saying more than anything. Uh, um, but Jonathan Harry,
1: Brandis is in it. Uh, I don't know who that let's is. Let's shout out to my Sequest people. <laughs> okay. Who does he play? Who are we he, talking he about? He plays uh, Young
0: Bill. Young Bill. Okay. With
1: the, he's the stutter kid. Who, he, and
0: he's on Sequest? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Is this Quest, um and then uh young harry anderson is seth green which i did not expect yep. at all didn't expect that hey i knew john ritter because i'd seen some you know images and such who plays ben. this is man sometimes i wonder because i aspire to one day actually break into hollywood and i don't i still talk like i know i never will <laughs> I guess he'll never hear this, but I'm like, like we know Jamie Loftus, who's wonderful, and she writes for Robot Chicken, which is Seth Green's show. So there's no, it's a non-zero chance that this could get back to him, but I, and he seems like a great, nice dude. But Seth Green has like never figured out how to act, right? Hard like, disagree. I, hard really, disagree. Really? Yeah. Based on what? I performances, mean, I don't think he's a
1: character actor in the way that a lot of working. TV and, uh, film actors are, uh,
0: you're thinking of Buffy, aren't you?
1: Uh, he's pretty good in Buffy, but <laughs> no, actually what I'm thinking of and a shame on you, uh,
0: party monster. Actually, he's good in party. He's monster. He's really good true. in party monster. So, <laughs> well, then I guess I shouldn't be busting the balls of like a child actor, but he seemed really flat in this and I held him to a high standard cause it's Seth Green, but mm-hmm. he's still just a kid. Well, Definitely in this He's he doesn't really do. stank up the podcast.
1: <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I, right, it's I think fine. it's okay. Someone can hear that. I mean,
0: that's <laughs> Hey, people tell me I suck. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: and I don't think we're
0: saying he sucks. I think we're just saying, no. as a kid, you sucked. <laughs> well. I don't I find that there are very few child actors worth a damn and none of them are in this movie. Like I don't none of the kids it's particularly so impressed me. It's so hard. Um, it is very hard, and you rarely see a child actor that blows you away, which is why or like there is something special about a Daniel Radcliffe or Dakota Fanning. They're like weirdly already have an adult skill set when they're children. It's, it's unusual.
1: Also, I mean, it's also hard to do like the fifties lines. Cause you, we talked about Ugh. this with stand by me where they're still, he's oh, still using that Stand vernacular. by me is going to
0: come up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And like when you are not even related to that and you're like 12 or like however the kids were 12 to 14 and they're trying to say these things that just make no sense to them. It's not going to, it's and not They're s- actual
0: nineties kids. So this is, right. Right. is not it their always vernacular. Works better yeah. in
1: Stevie's brain <laughs> than a kid who's like. Oh, and that, and I want to say, piss up a rope. <laughs> you know, yeah, like hey, that's what I, uh,
0: buy my bag. But really all I yeah. wanted to say, skeleton crew wise was uh, the rare occasion to actually bring it to the book because okay, it's time to deploy it. My hot take about it is, uh, and, and I say this with another of my dearest friends, Griffin Rowell, like always talking this movie of my whole life because like, you haven't seen it still. Um, cause as a kid, this was the scariest thing in the world to him and gave him nightmares, made him scared of clowns. I think it is non-negligibly responsible for the meme of scary clowns persisting mm-hmm. as long mm-hmm. as it has and being a thing all the way to 2020. Um, it obviously has a huge cultural footprint and a lot of it goes back to this TV special, but I think even more of it goes back to the book itself. Because the book itself is frightening and And feels dense and epic. It almost feels like the Lord of the Rings, but in modern times, like they are on a quest to vanquish an evil that lives in a pit that they have to like uh, descend into. It really feels epic and interwoven and like, uh, or the Wheel of Time, another, you know, fabulous fantasy series where it's like, I know everything about each of these kids. They're alive. And it has really transgressive shit that I don't even know if it's okay. Like the kids all fuck in the sewer, you know, oh, there's a the sure, pedophilic yeah. orgy that's often and even obliquely referenced in this, uh, where a scene, there's like a shadow scene in the sewers where it's the scene where they would fuck, but they don't, but they kind of reference that they did, but they don't cause it's TV in the nineties. Um, and my take is, Oh, this is one of the worst movies I ever saw. This movie is garbage. This is like, <laughs> I didn't know we were in a Dreamcatcher situation. This movie blows mm. chunks, dude. This movie mm. sucks ass. I hate mm-hmm. this movie. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. my take. And uh, and much like Dreamcatcher, I think we will find it very fascinating to unpack. But I wanted to say, as far as the behind the scenes goes, I'm going to call on Stephen King as my my only notable crew member here and just say... Uh, it really is a good book and I want to analyze why I think this is such a facile piece of shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I (laughs) want to expand on that. I want to bring up two other people. One Mm -hmm. is Lawrence Cohen, uh, who is one of the script writers on this and he wrote Carrie. So he's already kind of been,
0: he's hanged in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, the also other writer is also the director, Tommy Lee Wallace, who uh, only really directed movie, like, Fright Night 2. That was, like, his movie he did before this. And then everything Mm -hmm. else was TV direction. He did, like, Baywatch, Twilight Zone, Max Headroom. Like, just looking at where he was before he made this, this was clearly designed to be just a TV thing. So I want that to be in people's head because I want to talk a lot about direction and why I think it speaks to what you're saying of like, when we take a story that's as interesting as I think it actually is, it really
0: is a good yarn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's, it's kind of the, one of the better ones and we can get into that later. Why I think that, uh, and why does this movie fail is a big question I want to ask, uh, to the group, I guess, but also to you mainly, um, And I think that there's a lot of skepticism that King had and he wrote about in as early as like 1983, where he's like, I don't think TV is ever going to work for my writing. And then when they made it, he was or when he wrote it, it was like, I think, 1986. uh, He was like, Nah, a television version of this book would be bullshit. So he thought it was going to be bullshit. Uh, I didn't actually get any find any quotes about what he thought about it after After the fact
0: after seeing it yeah but
1: i think that means that he probably just didn't change his negative view on horror television
0: i was gonna say he's the kind of guy who tends to he loves movies i think he's genuinely delighted that the world embraced his work and he gets to see his writing come to life on the screen he seems to love movies and if and he's also polite so Mm -hmm. if he didn't lavish praise on your thing it's probably not his favorite Stephen King adaptation. Yeah. Like he's out here blurbing everyone related to him. And, uh, you know, 10% of new horror novels have a quote by Stephen King say like, give this guy a chance. I swear. He's like the freshest new horror writer. Right. Um, he's a big supporter of the medium and his fellow artists. So I guess what I'm getting at is I think he was right. It is bullshit. And he's probably too polite to go. Probably yeah, probably bullshit polite. Because it worked on, I mean... This movie is yeah. beloved. And I know a lot of people our age who, because they saw it as kids, they were like, it is the scariest thing to me. The scariest mm-hmm, one. It's the mm-hmm. scariest one above all others. And we haven't mentioned Tim Curry. Ooh, oof, Obviously, oof. none of this applies to mm, Tim Curry. He's mm, Teflon. Mm, mm. He does the best you could possibly do with the material, period. There's Kiss no, me, fat boy. <laughs> I want to talk about... Him in comparison to uh, the new guy, who I forget his name. Suddenly, I'm sorry, but the new Pennywise. I mean, I think we'll cover Bill that Sarsgaard. whole movie. That's right. I knew he's a Scarsguard, but I didn't know which. Yeah. Um, and he does interesting, fabulous, difficult acting things in his own way. But I think Tim Curry, honestly, like as an actor, the decisions he makes are more clever. I think he just destroys, and uh, it can't save the movie. The movie still sucks, and Pennywise is not scary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, there's a gritty realism in the new ones. Like, I won't say it's a one-to-one akin uh, between these two movies, but, like, if you look at the difference between 1990 and 2017's uh, It's,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you look at something like, I don't know, Batman and uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker and, like, Heath Ledger's Joker, I'm not saying that... Oh, that's a good They're analogy. It's the same, yeah. but it's like it's the same era, and therefore, like the campiness of the character of those two characters are very similar. I think Tim Curry's totally. not doing a gritty thing, he's not doing like an uh, like not your grandpa's it, you know, like he's doing a very classic, clownish impression, but his nuance is so fucking dialed in you're just watching an absolute like virtuoso actor
0: and he knows what he's doing his cho- he his subtextual exactly choices yeah. are subversive like there is no scrap of dialogue ever that implies this clown is a pedophile he, but no uh it's completely understood by Tim Curry and Stephen King and everyone who's scared of clowns. That part of the core of that fear is that mm. in the real world, a clown is yes, a middle-aged sir. adult who has only achieved that they are a clown and you trust them alone with your children. And there's a high rate of creep factor involved in that. Yeah. When you take off the makeup, it's like some 50-year-old guy named Stu, who the fuck knows what he's going to do with right. your kid. Right. Um, and Every subtextual choice that Tim Curry brings to Pennywise makes him not only he's gonna eat you, but he's kind of horny for you. Like there is a sexuality there's this, he's to Pennywise a that I think yeah. is subversive, and he gets away with it brilliantly because he's, there's nothing explicit. He just seems like a fucking perv, and it makes it so much creepier mm-hmm. than Bill Skarsgård, who is just like he just wants to eat you, like eat your flesh. It's like a spider, a giant spider that would eat you. Yeah. I actually found Tim Curry's choice to make him creepily fascinated by the kids way smarter. It is yeah. so awesome.
1: I want to talk about that now. I officially want to open up because we haven't actually made the break. I want to officially call this now the segment that we call It. Bill, if you'll come with me, you'll float too.
0: Too. It's squared. it's where this
1: is the episode We just talk about everything we had Watching it on our minds um, Because, yeah, we're kind of out of the skeleton crew bit I I think your take is absolutely right And the one thing, I almost feel like we can start with that I have a lot to say on it as well uh, But there's something about the story itself And all the movies that have like come from it And are, you know... Um, Kind of have used the clown imagery as such that we we don't really talk about, or I have yet to hear someone really elucidate the like symbolism behind why King chose that for the story. And I think you touched upon it. Why a clown? Why a clown? But I think it's it's everywhere in the story. To me, the story even, and I haven't read the book. I'm just, I it almost only occurred to me watching this version because it's something that I think is actually kind of lost in the new versions Uh, and there's one great scene in this movie I think and I don't think it's the new ones have an equivalent of it and it speaks kind of what you were saying it's the scene in I believe part two when Bev tells the story of how Henry and his gang Henry being the big bully guy inexplicable bully that King always has you know
0: oh man yeah Um, they're pretty rough yeah okay we'll save it but we gotta talk about about, Henry Bowers as a thing but uh,
1: they assault her younger self and she sees a man I want to say Mr. Ross across the street who looks concerned and is watching on but in the moment when he's about to like She's like, I thought he was going to do something. He just walks back to his house and shakes his head. So she comes to the conclusion that something, and she says this as a quote something's terribly wrong in dairy. And uh, she's not talking about the clown. The clown is not. It's rotten
0: dairy. But it is. Or I mean, in the yeah. book, I think it's an allusion to the fact that in the book, Pennywise used mind, mind uses control, mind control sure. to make dairy. Uh, a a place where no one helps each other. But it's a metaphor, right?
1: I think the recent ones lost this and it's at the heart of the story. Mm -hmm. It's a story that takes advantage of the small town America's version of itself. It's unnatural, of course, when kids go missing, when someone within the community could do something so reprehensible. The betrayal of neighborliness. Exactly,
0: it's like the perversion of it. And so
1: there's something terribly wrong in dairy. Might as well be a statement about the loss of trust in that community. So the clown as a figure, like you said, Mm -hmm. who visits your kid on your birthday. It's a like this puts this tale for me in it like a in a like kind of hereditary level. Like it's Americana
0: horror, you know. That's really cool, and I gotta say that's definitely true of the book because. Each cha- each of the Losers Club members has a tragic backstory that is delved into in such detail and treated with, I would say, enough, a fair amount, as much as King could muster. I could tell his heart was in the right place, of like empathy and understanding and trying to re- project what that situation would be. So like Mike, the only black person in the Losers Club, deals with constant small town racism, right. right? And that's dealt with in the book in a fairly complex way that gets at all these things you're talking about, how like America Americana glosses over the people who fall through the cracks, the people we treat like shit just to keep our sense of community exactly. intact. Yeah. And of course um, Bev has a, an abusive father who in the book is explicitly sexually abusive and then has the cycle. They're of So it actually up. deals with, yeah. it deals with, and she, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, trust, when your trust gets completely trampled upon and different effects that has on people uh, on a systemic level or in Bev's case, how sometimes people who grow up in abusive situations find themselves repeating that cycle in life with their choice Uh of partner. And they ask themselves, why does that mean it's my fault? No, it's very complex. It's complex psychology. And the problem with a show... And it's interesting because when I saw the new movies, I was very upset that they lost all that. Because to me, like exactly what you're hitting on is the brilliant, like that's the heart of the story. That's the subtext that makes the story relevant. It's a surprising, it's not about an alien
1: monster. It's it's right here on our paved streets, like under our like. uh, It's truly a novel. It's yeah. It's not a. That's why the sewer is so important. And it's yeah. He's
0: trying to say important things, and I just think. When I saw the new movies, I was upset that that stuff was all just basically surgically removed and referenced in very clean clinical ways, almost as just plot points, don't worry about them. And I was like, that sucks, man. Like You're just going to ignore that Mike Hanford has to deal with racism every day of his life because of small-town America? That was one of the poignant fucking things. Mm -hmm. Then you go to this version, and I'm like, I don't know which is worse. Because in this version, they just boil it down to... Bowers constantly calls him the n-word but they never explore how that feels for Mike how it affects him what it means about America they just as an it's almost like we get to say the n-word he 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 he's a bad guy he says the n-word so it's like man that clumsy of a handling is worse than you should have just shut your fucking mouth about it Mm -hmm. if you don't know how to handle it so it's interesting that this old version seems to try and allude to everything in the book almost out of a loyalty. Like uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eddie says, like, well, I was a virgin. The only ones I ever loved were were you. And that line is a reference to the fact that they all fucked as kids, right. but they don't have the balls to include that scene or have it be true. Um, so they have all these weird <laughs> So they, like, allude to the idea of racism in the worst way possible by just dropping the N-word with no understanding or context around it and then killing the guy who said it. Like, it's like a bumper sticker that just says racism is bad. And you're like, I did my part for the week. Um, So, yeah, that was one of my – I just think – I think you cut right to the heart of the issue. Like, the dropped ball here is – they tried to turn it into a carnival thrill ride where you hand over your five tickets and you sit in the booth and you hear spooky sound effects and you go, that was it. Like that was it.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) There's no real tragedy. It's just the monster though. And I think this is not us. This is is
0: not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's
1: the realization about like, it made me realize that there's a big difference between past and present horror tropes. Like the efforts of past horrors, put into character work versus the effort of modern horrors into, like, the visual stylings. So, like, character-based horror, or what I'm calling the past horror, we get caught up in the drama, we see their situations and how they react. I think the payoff is that we worry more about these characters during their trials to come. But in, like, the 2000s, I want to say, like, I don't want to blame, like, The Ring, but that... 2002 feels like a great year for like Mm -hmm. this to happen. Mainstream horror became so much more about the visuals being horrifying. Well, it makes the films like basically look the same and you, it emphasizes a bag of tricks where the, like just the visceral sight of the monsters, where the horror stems from, which is very much still true. And it, I mean the, the imagery of the clown is the thing, but it's not from a psychological terror. Um, where people you know and are invested in are being placed in immediate threats. And I think that that's something that I think the 90 version has it more. Uh, I don't think it's entirely successful, but I will say that this is a big difference between past and present horror tropes and the what, what yeah, they go Yeah, I, I did
0: like... It They they did a lot more to, although they, they had a few in the current movie, but you're right. They go to more of an effort because they can't rely on scary special effects to come up with conceptual horror that reflects how Pennywise makes it. Pennywise appears to be whatever you fear most. And of course, that's not just a clown. That's why in, in this old version, he sometimes, one time he's a werewolf, one time he's a mummy. One time he's like, your father being disappointed in you. There's a conceptual element to what does it reveal about what this character fears most in life. Um, whereas I think now that we have the effects to legitimately make something that is scary just to look at. Like my mind always flashes back to that that meme that went viral recently of that uh, ugly bird-faced lady. Do you remember that <laughs> that?
1: No. Creepypasta
0: image that's just like a lady's deformed face, and she kind of looks like a bird. Oh, and it is; it's it somehow hacks your brain. It's just a creepy looking thing. Right, or that's like right. why Slender Man can go big, right? Yeah. And uh, it does sort of. It seems to lose the. We no longer need to get to the heart of what makes it's a what does beast. humans fear. Yeah, it's a
1: different beast, and I think it's because it places in it's a fa- it's fascinated with beasts and lore. You know, like. We don't learn much about the deadlights in this movie and where the clown came from in this version. Uh, we learn a little bit more in the modern versions, and I think we pla- that's because we're placing the monster front and center. I think audiences still need to know who they're following, so if we do that, we, we need to understand them more. But I think we're making our horror films with the object of terror not being mysterious, And so, therefore, we need to understand what his deal is, which is kind of counterproductive because... That's true. Yeah.
0: We're living through a time of extreme lore, love, and world building. Like,
1: once again, going to the ring, we need to know, like, what's Samsara's deal? Like, how did she do this? Yeah. She can't just be a demon. She has to be a little girl with a story. And I think that that's fine. That's a tale. I'm not saying... Shame on us for going this way I'm just saying We're definitely fascinated with it And it's one facet Of how terror is manifested On screen That's all It's really funny That we're having this discussion Because like I also read a quote While I was doing research For this one Which is uh, That Stephen King And I guess this is Actually a popular quote But I guess maybe This just shows my ignorance Have you ever heard this quote From Stephen King Where he says I'm the literary Literary equivalent Of Big Mac and Fries
0: I don't fully agree he is sometimes, but I don't That's humbleness I don't know, I think he's underselling him. himself. Yeah, yeah, I
1: think he's probably doing that. I just think that
0: that means that he he may just be putting on a show when he says that. Well, and it's the best-selling thing of all time, so he's complimenting right. himself at the same but time. But It yeah. also
1: speaks to his tropes. Like if we look at if we look at his tropes, like how many tropes are at play in this? Like, in terms of just like character archetypes, like the writer kid, the fat kid, the weak kid who needs well, to be protected. That's my other
0: that's my other big gripe about it that I do lay at the feet of Stephen King. And it's one of his earlier novels, right. like major novels. So I hope he grows out of this. And I'm wondering if we just happen by chance to meander through because, for example, We covered The Mist. The Mist doesn't rely on any of these tropes. It's all fresh, new tropes. They're still archetypal, but they're fresh. Um, I can think of lots of Stephen King stuff that doesn't venture into this territory. But having just covered Stand By Me and Dreamcatcher and now It, I am a little sick of how often he has... Character that's a writer who basically seems like a Stephen King type. How often he has the kid that is a wisecracking comedian that is so unlike what a comedian is like, mm-hmm. like literally just a miniature Jerry Lewis kid. Yeah. It, he he's loves also it. The kid, he's um, like the
1: comedian and the cool kid. And I don't know
0: about you, yeah, but that's not, which is really not really true. how it works. Yeah. No. And he's already wearing like, uh, yeah, he already carries around hand buzzers and wears like smoking jackets. And you're like, this kid's getting his ass kicked every day. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. Uh, and rightly so. Fuck this kid. Um, and uh, yeah, he just goes back to this is so plain by me, kids. Just it's a, like history of violence level. Kids coming of age, yeah. uh, the fat he's obsessed with fat kids that just constantly get called fat. And I would say when you handle that from the like. From the chubby kid's point of view, it does become an act of body shaming empathy, and you can tangle with that in an interesting way, but there's also such a thing as just relying on the same tropes over and over, right. and he just seems to do that, yeah. and you brought up the biggest one of all, so let's talk about Henry Bowers. Yeah, let's go. A straight up, ripped out of time, from the from Newsies, hair <laughs> greased back, Fonzie style, in ponytail. class, Just saying shit like, quote, I'm a bully. I'll kill you all. (laughs) I'll kill you all. I'll kill you all. I'll kill you all. I swear vengeance as a stereotypical bully upon you. He sees pennywise and his hair turns white. Henry Bowers is some of the stupidest shit that's ever been committed to film. Yeah. This poor kid that had to play Henry Bowers. It's just the distillation and like you said, like we rip on American history of uh, sorry, history of violence as a throwback to this is the Uber Stephen King bully. And by Stephen King bully, if you're unaware, we mean a bully who has no right to exist. No empathy or no, understanding is just spent towards trying to understand how he shit. could function. Yeah. Like it's so, it's so amazing that in a book where you're like, here's seven kids, and here is our seven bespoke backstories that each illuminate something like the terror of of having your sexual identity transgressed upon Mm -hmm. the terror of systemic entrenched racism, the terror of being born into a body that earns you shame and revile. And you were just, you didn't ask to be born that way. Like issues with missing fathers and abusive adults. Oh yeah. Exactly the same as stand by me. His brother's dead and the parents won't let him in his room. Exactly the same as stand by me. And yet there's this kid who is, so full of twisted hatred that he's constantly, as a child, just screaming, "I'll kill you," and and means it, like taking out switchblades and trying to carve his name in people. He must have something going on at home. He must. He must. Like, what is Henry Powers' childhood like? And I love that we spend no effort. We're just like, I don't, I don't know, know he's but a piece that of kid's, shit, dude. <laughs> that yeah. kid's just a piece of what shit. What ends up happening <laughs> is a mental
1: institute
0: until like.
1: Pennywise appears in the moon and he gets out. You know, like, he's that just a device. That was some insane device. clown posse shit. He's There's a clown in
0: the moon telling me to kill kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just a
1: device <laughs> is what it comes down to. It's just a format. It, By the
0: way, would we have the joy that is the insane clown posse without it? I doubt it. I don't it. think so. I doubt yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Juggalos everywhere should read it for sure. Yeah, they need to know the roots, man. <laughs> Fago should have... They all float in here on it, oh. uh, you know the bubbles.
1: <laughs> what are bubbles?
0: What do they even mean? They're just just drink balloons, man. They're, They're just, drink just drink balloons.
1: balloons. <laughs> it's magic. Uh, yeah, there's. I think there's smart stuff that he does with like, because like now we're balanced we're teetering on
0: like this weird balance, and I'm glad you brought up. Like well, the archetypes. I don't want to say Stephen King's a hack because we devoted a whole series to him. No. But I'm like, is Stephen King a hack? No,
1: I think he just has, <laughs> he has this, like, it's like poetry,
0: it rhymes. Like, he just has these
1: tales that he wants to tell and that's the archetypes that we're tired of. Uh, but he does understand structurally how flaws of characters manifest in the story and propel the story forward. And I'm going to give him credit for that because I think he does a really smart thing with the story of it and seeing it in this like configuration with the time dilation is really kind of a lot better because front and center in this show, in this, in this TV movie, is that you see like immediately he makes it clear by their vignettes as he introduces all like the cast of characters the entire ensemble are different aspects of like overcompensation and insecurities based off their youth
0: like Well and they all have an it right they that's all have why an it's it. called it yeah. it is amorphous and they all have amorphous things that oppress them and, um, like racism or sexual abuse in your past. And it's so good and refreshing to see character
1: work that is like, okay, so these people are in their own glass prisons let's take them somewhere where those prisons are going to break and they're going to be unleashed and have to look at their selves in the mirror, so to speak. Like Ben mm. overcame his weight, but now he's like a drunk bill is a control freak and used to be like a coward. Uh, like Bev, who was bold in her youth has found like she, yeah, you mentioned she was in abusive she relationship. She feels she
0: can't get out of the cycle. Right. Yeah.
1: And she's at this whim of a complete asshole who beats her and won't allow her to speak in public. Uh,
0: and that's basically a copy-paste of her father. Uh, Eddie still Eddie, lives with the mother. Uh, right. Who, Eddie is Eddie's mom has munchausen by proxy, which means she tells him he's sick all the time yep. when he isn't. Yep. And uh, even though he's a full-grown adult, he can't shake that. He still keeps his asthma inhaler, even though he knows that yep. his mom was delusional.
1: Richie uses
0: comedy to deflect reality. Um, I get... It's fun. So that's the other thing is I feel like Stephen King had some funny friend that he just yeah, wishes sure. he was instead. Because <laughs> Richie's, Richie's still cool and funny. That's like his – Yeah, he's, he's popular. He just glides through everything. At day. one point yeah. he says
1: like, ah, let Leno do that. So he's like Leno-esque.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, they also say everyone who escaped its pull and left Derry became unusually successful. Mm-hmm. I forget – if that's magic or why, if but that's they do effect, I, Pennywise. some weird effect, I guess. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, they all, I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen architects on time magazine, but we see one in this movie because <laughs> Ben John Ritter has a time magazine. I, I don't know. Is was that a thing that you could do? Could you just like buy a time magazine and have your face with on you it? on the cover? I guess yeah, yeah, you that was
0: it was a thing in the '90s that became available. So there's actually a, an undercurrent of, okay. you know how, yeah, comedians collectively enshrine shit. Like we'll all remember. Uh, there's there's so many TV shows that will be forgotten, but we'll all remember some random TV show because it becomes a punching bag joke or mm-hmm. like it's a popular mm-hmm. punchline. That thing where you get your own face as my, Times Man became of the Year, a
1: punching bag. It was
0: yeah. a thing in the '90s and. So many comedies reference it because everyone thought it was stupid. So yeah.
1: stupid. And yeah,
0: it ain't who would do that? Yeah. Seinfeld has one. Yeah.
1: Not not as good as the uh, Big Obaski joke, though. Um, Which one? The any man, joke man in Big of the O'Bosky? year. Man of the year when he looks at himself and then he goes, hmm. <laughs> like he, he <laughs> looks at when he's talking to Brandt, remember? This is not That's the right. Coen Brothers. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> like yeah, just another Time Magazine joke. Um yeah, the comedy stuff is, and I love that we actually see like a little bit of his sets. That's like really important to me.
0: <laughs> it's important to me that you saw some of his jokes and could confirm, just like his C- Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. You're like, great writers who can write horror do not necessarily know how to write oh, jokes. Oh, it's Got so it. good. Still it's like, true. You remember,
1: like in like Star Trek TNG when they'd have like a comedian. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, would come in and like, let me tell you data about comedy or something like that. Comedy's like this, like, bada bing, bada boom, and it's just like
0: comedy so is a wrong. Pair of chattering, Why his <laughs> teeth, and me su- talking about my ex wife's mother in law because yeah, <laughs> like, it's sci fi okay, writers trying to write comedy, <laughs>
1: and it's so great. It's just, it's a treasure, is what it is. I mean, you know, um, I'm not telling I'm, yeah. anyone to stick to their lane. Who am I to say any of that? It's just hilarious to see it's like wearing a, it's wearing a weird, it's like going out in public and wearing a weird suit. And just like, I noticed that suit, that suits weird.
0: <laughs> like that's, and you're like, up. I know that's a joke. Do you get it? Mm-hmm. And you're like, it's not a joke. Mm-hmm. Just that I noticed it. I, yeah, it's less <laughs> of
1: a joke. I'm not on your level. I feel like you got to get me to your level in order to laugh at the joke.
0: Or like, or that you switch two words. Like he'll be like, uh, my heart is running and my nose is a flutter. And you're like, that's kind of a joke. It's, You're getting there, buddy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You're using words. Uh, yeah, it's it's not quite it, but it's hilarious. I don't, it's,
0: it's interesting because I have done stand-up sets and they went fine. And like other people who I really admire saw the stand-up sets and told me they were good. So I have every reason to believe that they're good enough to have not seemed like an out-of-place movie stand-up set. No. Like, I've done stand-up, people were like, yeah, that was stand-up, you did it. Um, and yet there is something about, because I also, of course, screenwrite, it's tough to pre It's weird. I don't understand, because it's identical. And then joke here. I, I find it way easier to be very funny, in the agents of crack context or in the pilot we wrote just now that we referenced at the top of the show right, banter banter yeah. is so funny to me because un- one character undercutting another, you have status shifts you can do. Yeah. You have like just two things existing makes it so much easier. They twist around, That's why yeah. a lot of comedy writers find stand-up to be a true challenge because it's a monologue. It's a it's you the know, tip of a the monologue spear is just harder keep than sticking yeah. with me here. So, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm no shade at anyone who can't. I even, who has done stand up, I would rather write banter than stand up, than a comedic right. monologue. Yeah. A comedic monologue, that's why Does Not Compute always took the longest. It's hard, it's yeah, really it's hard. annoying. That's <laughs> yeah. fair. Uh, yeah. And people who are writing a movie and have a lot of other things they can turn to, like, so you didn't laugh. I'm about to make you scared. That's what you're here for anyway. They never really put the sheer amount of effort and micromanagement into their comedy writing that you need to, to make it feel like a, a real season standup special. Cause standups will do the same comedic monologue. Think about this. To make your it comedic monologue feel real, you should tour with that monologue as your material and hear what bombs and hear what hits and rewrite it for six months and then write it as screenplay in your movie. Right. If you want it, if you
1: wanted it to feel like real standup. Right. Right. That's what it would take. Or get a stand up writer to write some jokes for you.
0: <laughs> or get Mike Birbiglia to write, but right, but any stand up writer that shit ta- is so hard and so precious, why wouldn't he just do it as his own material? Yeah, because you're paying him. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I get guess, what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, that's true. I got. I mean, you get Pat and Oswald to ghost add jokes to Ratatouille, and you're hell golden yeah, baby. Yeah. Hell yeah.
1: Uh, I got a question
0: for I you. Us. As a, because um,
1: mm-hmm. you're like kind of a structuralist like me, you're like a formalist.
0: Mm. Um feed me those semiotics. I got a
1: question. Uh what is Stan's function in this tale? And just to refresh I, our memory, Stan yeah. is the guy who has he's the boy scout as a young boy. Uh he has very little uh, that we know about him other than he's a Boy Scout. In fact, at one point he says, like, the Boy Scout law over and over over as a mantra to not be scared. To ward
0: off Pennywise. Yeah,
1: and then when we see him later in life, we don't see him in part two. Well, I guess we do. We see his head in a fridge. But in part one, it's really That's Pennywise, though. He That's kills not really himself him. after he gets the phone call from uh, from uh, Mike. So. Mike. So, what's his function Mm -hmm. in the story? Can it be cut out?
0: I haven't read the book in probably 15 years, so I just remembered things that really stuck in my mind and I was able to bring some of those to bear, but I can't say that, like, oh, yeah, this is Stan's deal in the book. Um, But, so judging solely on the movie and, like, gut imply or like gut checking what i think probably the book was uh based on my vague vague memories is th- i got the impression that he represented how the he's the very surface layer of that gilded edge of americana you were talking yep. about so like, i think you're right mark twain coined the phrase the gilded age and gilding is when the you know a book that has it. gold edges yeah. Um, and the reason he called Mark Twain called the area he was living through the gilded age, frankly, was because of things like slavery, um, where he was saying, we are all about like, we have steam power. Now we have the cotton gin. There was a lot of, uh, self patting on the back by white Americans, uh, when Mark Twain was alive about, if, if you can believe it, because of course, time makes fools of us all, but like, we live in the future now. Technology is like, oh my God, technology's blowing up in a big way. Factory automation is going to change everything. We, we are golden. We are golden gods. We control nature. You know, we were getting that sense that we, we mastered the earth. <laughs> we, we rule. Um, and he was like, but it's gilded. The outside is gold and the inside is, we're all, you know you know fucking our own kids and having (laughs) slaves and murdering each other in alleyways like that was one of Mark Twain's big sticking points and I think Stan appeals to that same I think you're right uh He's the guild. He bought it hook, hook, line and sinker. He repeats the words that you're supposed to say. He stands and salutes and wears the uniform and does the pledge of allegiance. And when a killer clown, uh, despite everything he was taught to be true, starts bending reality in front of him, what does he rely on? The boy scout motto. Well, you know what? When the shit with capital IT, really hits the fan, what does he do? Fucking kill himself in a bathtub like a coward, leaving everyone who loves him traumatized just because he's scared. And I think it's it represents the frailty of those mottos, of the fact of like, oh, I'm in the army. Uh, Not, I mean, we have veteran fans (laughs) who have reached out. Christian Ramirez is a veteran and like no shade to, I think being in the army can do a lot of things uh, for a person's life and strengthen a lot of characteristics. But it also isn't just, I was in the army, you can assume I'm smart and capable and stalwart and manly and all whatever we associate with that. being in the boy scouts doesn't make you a good guy the boy scouts enshrine a certain set of morals and obviously evil people can go through the boy scouts and create wreak havoc or you can take something from the boy scouts that's a great experience that teaches you uh to be a better person in life it's like how you use it and Mm -hmm. stan had all the tools but didn't know how to use them he was sort of a coward at the end of the day And I could be. I I hope when faced with a killer clown, I wouldn't just kill myself to get out of the situation. mm -hmm. But I don't know.
1: Yeah. um, You know, I'm an Eagle Scout, right?
0: I right, yeah, yeah. so I was like, "No, no, I'd say you're, um, you're
1: spot on. We're a bunch of cowards." Uh, no, it's no, his, but you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, the yeah, words you're saying, his own life is the mo- portrayed as the most comfortable, healthy. His li- his wife He's loves soft, him. Man. They're like, yeah, they flirt a little bit before he takes the phone call, and he and they're just like, ah, you. And it's just like it's the picture of Americana, like healthiness, and then. Off screen, he offs himself. Uh, you remember immediately we've
0: talked about, they, they get a call and he's like, It is back. And he's talked like, about I see the poem Richard Corey, right? I mean, we must have great Simon and Garfunkel song, right. too.
1: Yeah, that's how I think I was also. Most popular. He's Richard Corey, I think, right? I,
0: I think about that song constantly when I'm beating up on myself about uh, how we aren't making movies like we want to be. Mm-hmm. That's dark. Uh, Richard Corey is one of the only things that makes me feel. I'm like, but it wouldn't guarantee I would be happy, Richard Corey. Yeah. Remember Richard Corey. Remember Richard Corey. Yeah. It's a dark thing, but it's true. It's like if there's something you aspire to that's a real long shot lottery ticket childhood dream, Mm -hmm. uh, you can't go thinking that when you're unhappy, oh, but if I got that thing, I would be happy. There's no guarantee that's true it's just a good reminder <laughs> right yeah no it's just a good reminder yeah don't uh but what were you gonna say about richard Cory? no
1: i mean i think you nailed it i, I was just trying it. it as a parallel and people should go read that uh poem great poem it's a great poem and great it kind of speaks on i think what stan's uh function is here and i think you nailed it you know uh i think he is he's functionally serves a purpose. And yes, he could be, he's cut. The reason I asked the original question is, is he cuttable? Is he, you know, formally does he add? (laughs) I think he proved that he is my friend. (laughs) We like to have fun here. Uh, it's, it's more (laughs) like he is the one outside of the rest of them who is a cautionary tale of there is no other way out. The only way out is in,
0: you know, the only way out is to fight it. Yeah. or kill yourself because and wants they, that? Right. they
1: didn't finish and that's why they're all I think that's the to me that's what's the power of the story again with the flaws of the character stuff talking about how each of them have flaws as a kid and they also have flaws as an adult and it's just like dressed up in different clothes um, and some of them aren't even their flaws you know And like the case of Bev she's just become less emboldened uh, over time but it's because she's been a victim her whole life. But ultimately all these vignettes that kind of introduce them. And then would, they kind of like make a stand together and like overcome that it's showing that like structurally they are all essentially through lines that we show one-on-one relationships. Like I think what I'm getting to is the one-on-one relationship focus of this movie versus the ensemble cast of, like, the new movies and kind of how I thought what it was.
0: Yeah, they do a little more mapping of Yeah, like, look at the
1: Bill Mike scene in the hospital after he's stabbed by Henry, Mike is. And there's an emphasis on this, like, one-to-one relationship of just these two guys and their personal relationship. It's not just convene the team. And together they will overcome. It's like, no, let's strengthen the bonds individually. And then when they're together as a team, we have we've shown the
0: apparatus as being a, a sum of parts, you know? And I think although structurally, do you find it a, an editorial problem that for an hour and a half, you are continually returning to the home base of Michael is calling someone to assemble the team, it makes the entire first half of the movie feel like an opening montage. It had like a suicide squad it effect Part on me. Part one is... Where it's like, yeah. I know other scenes have been shimmied in, but we're still not done calling people. Mm-hmm. It's so much calling people.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that actually has... Speaking about structure, uh, I actually took a... As I'm wont to do, I took a stopwatch to this one. Because I want to know how mm. TV does like Pennywise beats. So I timed exactly when all of the beats happened where like there's a scene and then there's Pennywise as it appears and something scary happens. And in 180 minutes, which is like basically it's runtime, there's like 21 beats with Pennywise. Uh, and that includes two sequences one in the middle and one at the end that themselves are about 10 minutes long because that's like the finales right and when you look at the stopwatch and you look at what's going on in those scenes that I'm marking it's very like that's that's actually a pretty good efficiency it's like more or less uh, one every 10 minutes which is on par Mm -hmm. with sequencing for traditional movies so if we see this as two movies it's about on par with what you get with watching two movies and number Mm. of scares, I guess. Um, but if you notice in the second half, it's so many more like small bits that are like rehashes of old bits that it's like clear that part one has all the scary stuff and part two has just let's with the exception of some things like the, uh, the Chinese restaurant with like the, the, uh, cookie monsters, monsters. literal cookie monsters. (laughs) There's some new stuff. Uh, but like we're talking like hour 35 in hour 40 in hour 45. These beats are just like Ben returns to the pond and sees literally the same thing he saw as a boy, you know, or, Right. You know, he appears to Richie in a library and pops blood balloons on people. But no one's in danger. It's not like a actual horror scene. It's just like, remember, Pennywise is here and he pops blood balloons. And it's like, okay, that's not that scary. You know, it's different from like Pennywise preying on Georgie in the street, which is like one of the most iconic like scenes in this story. It might be in cinema, you know, like it's, it's awesome because Tim Curry is awesome. But like when you look at the beats themselves, they're very kind of laid back, like not really, they don't have, they don't really have claws.
0: Yeah. I just, sorry. Just, just Tim Curry appreciation. The Mm -hmm. joy he seems to exude when he says they float like, like, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these sound like like I would go with them these sound like the best balloons that I've ever <laughs> <encountered>. <laughs> yeah. oh they float oh, they all float, float. float. <laughs> yeah, like it sounds like these balloons are gonna give me a blowjob and a steak this sounds amazing yeah, sounds amazing
1: <laughs> yeah there's um, yeah there's a, there's a lot of really I actually thought there's a lot of real bad scripting too, though. Like to get off
0: the formal train. Oh, the, the exposition is ridiculous over this. They awful. meet at the Chinese restaurant and they go, It's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in 20 years. As you know, Henry Bowers confessed to murdering the children and is now incarcerated in the mental asylum. And that's only a slight exaggeration of what actually right. goes down. Yeah.
1: Right. And, but also, like. Stuff that like King, I'm sure, didn't make the mistake in the novel.
0: There's like, no example. The lines are not that in the book. Yeah.
1: For example, uh, they just determine as children that silver will kill it. It's a total assumption
0: made by the mm-hmm. kids. I'm sure in the book someone's going to be able well, actually. Uh, and they're well, It's right. that Pennywise because Pennywise is attached to your mindscape collectively, you can push back against it. That's why their belief that the asthma inhaler is a battery acid works. So it's, you know, it's it's a constant mental battle. So it's like, if the kids believe silver will kill it, then silver will damage it because it's a fear creature. So you've convinced it to be afraid. This is what I want to talk about. (laughs) And that's, this is all in the book. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But this is what I want to talk about because you just, you hit on something very key is about the power of the group in the It tale and the ramifications of defeating the monster, It. Because like you said, in the end, Silver works because they believe it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I, I forget who it is. I think it's Eddie says, I believe in Santa Claus, but I don't believe in you. This is battery acid. So in Stephen King's It, what does it mean to not believe in monsters? I think it means two things. One, you they don't exist which let's think about the sim- symbolic nature of what we talked about earlier. Or two, we are as powerful as monsters. They have no power over us, so we can rip their spider bodies like asunder and it's fine.
0: And it's tale- fine. It's a constant struggle, but I think it right. is that one. It's that the only monsters are us. We make racism and trauma and shame right. and hate. Therefore, we are the masters of reality. We could also, through our collective will, not be assholes and life would be more pleasant. I really think it's as simple as that. Right, but it's kind of weird that the de- and I
1: the defeat of it, the monster, is contingent on not believing in it. So ignoring a threat deflates its power. That's weird. Oh, but
0: you're saying like ignoring systemic racism we've seen is not the way to yeah. address systemic racism or any systemic So I just like the problem. metaphor right. built here because of the mm. ramifications of that through line. But you see how it works as like, like in AA, totally. we call it pulling a geographic where it's like, it totally makes sense if you're thinking of it as whatever that thing is in your life that because of the way you are in life or the slot you are slotted into oppresses you or fills you with fear and terror or threatens to destroy you. Um... It's uh, it makes so much sense. It's like they all tried to pull a geographic and even though they became unusually successful Mm. far from home, the shadow of your childhood trauma and the shit that was truly fucked up about the way your mind was formed when it was forming, that will never be resolved. It will always be a shadow cast over you unless you return home metaphorically and confront it whatever it is. You have to come to some kind of understanding with systemic racism if you're Mike or the trauma you suffered if you're Bev or your stutter if you're Bill, which seems like the lowest stakes <laughs> the one. lowest
1: stakes? But you know oh, what I man. mean? You have to come, yeah.
0: you have to address the childhood shit, which is why so many people in middle age find therapy, address their shit, and come out better for it. It's a process mm-hmm. that is positive and you have to go through. And I just feel like them coming together as the losers club and using their, literally, their lack of fear and their willpower to defeat whatever it is that is the horrible thing represents the fact that we as a community of humans have the ability to improve our conditions. But you're absolutely right that it becomes muddied. See, this is the kind of argument we would have about a screenplay we were writing, where you'd (laughs) be like, we can't do the clown, dude. And I'd be like, why? And you'd be like, because think about it mathematically, that would mean you should ignore systemic racism to defeat it. And I'd be like, fuck. Yeah. We can't do the clown. You
1: can't do the clown. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. It's just, it's one of the, I understand, uh, like I get what he's going un- for but your
0: point is a Desirable
1: valid. remainder of the addition machine. <laughs> that is yes. the, the crafting of a narrative. Well, it's when just you say like, stuff Oh yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> when you say stuff with symbols, you can't not accidentally say mm-hmm. other stuff because they're symbols.
1: That, because people are going <laughs> to yeah. extrapolate the symbols as they are and you don't want to stand behind a statement that you don't want. Like people are going to extrapolate what they want, but you want clearly symbolic like through line in your stories and you want those people to be following you a little bit like okay so then what does that mean what does that mean so what's Mm -hmm. the question here you know that's the kind of hope is that's what we're doing with our stories so when people say so just ignore the monsters and it's just like fuck that I am saying technically and I don't want that there so tear it all down uh, <laughs> there's or release
0: things. it anyway and become the best-selling author of all time.
1: Hey, sometimes th- I think
0: we are too nitpicky with our own micromanagement Fair of what symbols I'm mean. <laughs>
1: there's a few things I, I like. Just continuing the train, I do want to tear down from this movie though. Sure. What's with uh? We talked about archetypes a little bit. What's with Kings? It's becoming more clear to me now. Like he does the insert thing. He has like a self-insert addiction. Um, yeah. Like he puts the writer in and he places like himself in as a character all the yep. time. It seems bill. I mean, gets in the, the, the dark most tower, emphasis. literally,
0: I think in the dark tower, he finally yeah. got to the point of confidence where he's like, fuck it. I'm getting this. I can do yeah, this. I'm, I'm going to put myself me. in as myself. It's happening.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bill gets the most emphasis just like on our other things like Dreamcatcher and stand by me, of course, which are like symbolically aligned with this cause they deal with the same archetypes and tropes. Um, Bill gets the most emphasis in, or his archetype gets the most emphasis in these stories in both of his backstory, in this case, in the past with Georgie's arc and the present, because inexplicably there's like the Greco storyline, that I was like, what is this? Because oh, you that's mean
0: the literally the last shot of the movie is like the wrap up of an arc that we barely care about?
1: Right. And Greco is just this weird threat from afar that's flirting with his girlfriend Audra and so it's like this is clearly like King inserting like a well I left my a successful businessman home with my wife and I have fears about that and here it is in the story uh like he does the same like on top of everything else we haven't we've kind of mentioned it but like just the idea of Bev fucking all of them and like it becomes super awkward because even though the director cut it out there's still like multiple kisses oh, king has his own ben weirdness and, Bill, and blind and spots like, yeah
0: it's not <laughs> you know? all at the feet of the screenwriters the book it has problematic portions exactly. but uh, as i always underscore because we do kind of live in or we live in a, a cancel culture and i'm pro it most of the time most of the stuff i see getting canceled uh deserved it um but but Everyone has problematic stuff inside of them. That's part of the. And not writing a novel is an act of being, if you write a certain types of novels, is a very intimate act of revealing yourself as much as you can. So, of course, there's weird shit in there, too, that you have to place at the feet of Stephen King. He's on his journey and uh, he says weird stuff about, uh, you know, you can question maybe he's working out his own shit about his relationship to women or sex through this and i would buy that and i'm sure if someone who's not me because you can never see it yourself could read my shit and point out something that's like you have a problem with this that you haven't resolved and you can tell because of this character and this character and they're probably right it's easier to observe that stuff about other people than yourself i think
1: yeah yeah that's definitely true like I don't want to put him under a fire too much. I mean, not that he doesn't need to for some of these. We decisions. would cancel Stephen
0: King if we felt we needed to.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, I
0: think he's good. So far, so good.
1: So far, so good. I mean, I don't understand. I haven't read a lot of the books, and obviously, like the the, the all all of the seven losers, literally having sex with underage sex with Bev is like. That's not so good, uh, but it there is I'm not, I guess it's not a but that's like that but that means is but there's other stuff that matters more. I guess it's just a matter of like this main character getting the girl is on display here. It's another weird sexual like fantasy. Uh, the sexual nature of the gang is definitely something I want to point to, but just talking about King's kind of insert of the writer character, like. Why does Bill? Why is Bill the main character? That's weird. It feels. But weird. But you know why? It feels right. like
0: right. It's because King, be char- King has a good grasp on that character. King has a good grasp on that character because it's him. It's right. easier to write. Yeah. <laughs> and there
1: is this good sequence where Bill stands up for himself. Well, like. and the
0: book is much more an ensemble. You're in the head of whichever member of the Losers Club you're writing with at the time. I think the Fair. movie makes Bill feel even more. Pro-tag-y than the book does.
1: That's probably true. I just think that, I don't know why Mike isn't, he's the guy who's like assembling the crew and a movie literally starts with him as the first right. member. He's and it's just ocean. like, why isn't it his story? Um, but yeah, Bill does have a good, there's a good bit that I thought, the help me bit, if you don't remember, like he stands up for himself and confides that he's been afraid, like he's telling the other Losers Club members uh, he confides that he's been afraid his whole life, and it cuts back to him pleading in the in the woods when he's help talking. Tommy it. help, help me, me, help me, you know. Yeah. And it it's as good as it gets with the montage dilation in this movie, where it's like, oh, that's a resonant scene. They're emotionally in the same place, so cutting to that past right now. is justified as opposed Mm. to normally where the sequences are just like, well, here's exposition. You need to know, you need to know that Eddie's like this and has these problems so that when we cut to him later, he's still having those problems and you're like, God kid, you know, grow up. Um, but yeah, the, the, the bill stuff is really distracting. I find it the most distracting in the movie. Um, and by extension, the Bev stuff, um, those are really rough. I do like the Bev character. Because of the thing that we talked about earlier. Although she
0: ends up with Ben, not Bill.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. I mean, she should get out of her abusive relationship. That's for sure. And uh, Bill, and ben right. has and, always and been a support system. So well, it his seems is healthy. so simple.
0: He was a chubby kid and now he gets a girl. So I guess good. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Everything's it's fine. In you know, Hollywood, uh, everything's fine. Uh, yeah.
1: but yeah, it's, it's, it's one Henry of those things, Bowers,
0: man, Henry Bowers didn't get any happy ending Jesus. or any processing of well, whatever he's trauma a he's carrying shit, around, dude. He's yeah. just a
1: piece of shit. That's all. Uh, but that's what I'm
0: saying is the biggest pieces of shit. You can easily turn the story on a dime and be like. Why is he a piece of shit? And it's interesting usually. Um, but no, he just stays a piece of shit and he dies a piece of shit. <laughs>
1: the other thing... Okay, so this is jumping topics and I know we're running a little long, but I just want to get out because if you haven't noticed this, uh, I'm sure I'm the last one to this party, but how much water comes up in it is like... I. It took me this movie to s- understand it because mm-hmm. once again, I think the new movies kind of just gloss over it. There's so many... Everything, Literally everything points to water. <laughs> it's crazy. What do you
0: think that means? I I didn't well, even notice that.
1: Well, okay. So Bill writes about watery monsters in the first bit with him writing his Boy, story.
0: Man, everything points to Stand By Me. You got the scene with the kid telling the story and the I other kid know. saying you're going to grow up to be a writer. It ends with someone typing a journal with monologues about uh-huh, what happened uh-huh. to everyone. All right. Go on. Go on. Water.
1: Georgie's death is during a storm. We it's all true there you go yeah. uh one of the attacks takes place in the showers there's a suicide in a bathtub the sink is overflowing with blood uh huh. the, when oh, the yeah. kids first meet
0: the first time what are they doing building a dam uh so is it like pipes and because it is based in the sewers do you think they're trying to do a pipes and drains
1: motif i think so i think the uh and even when we look at uh, more like his, the sewer is his home and all that obviousness. The pond that is the sewer access has Ben's father in the skeleton. Well, that's like, great
0: if it's pipes and drains, cause that's the unseen th- system that holds society together yep. where we put all our horrible shit. Yeah, I love that's, that.
1: That's why I think the sewers of the suburb is like the perfect metaphor for it. It's in other words, the underbelly of suburbs, the underbelly of Americana, the thing that we don't want to admit is true. Uh, All the dead kids are found in river outlets. At Mm -hmm. one point, there's literally a line by the old possessed man, like uh, he's possessed by it. And he says, H2O, it's only water when he's talking about uh, when Eddie arrives, talking about how it's just a placebo and the medicine is just water. Mm -hmm. It just has a little bit of taste for, to make it seem like medicine. So in other words, your sickness literally isn't real. Mm -hmm. uh, And all it takes is a little bit of water and you're going to get over that. Like, it's just so, I think there's something to do with about like water is rebirth, but also water is death because like we can't live in it. Um, There's just so much about water that comes up with it. Because it's not like when you think of clowns, you're like water, <laughs> you know, no,
0: like no, no. a watery but, clown. But it makes so sense, so much sense as yeah, drainage is an underused symbol. Drains, drainage yeah. being like yeah, that's how we take the stuff we don't want and we take it away.
1: What yeah, do you think is down
0: there? What do you think is accumulating in that U pipe? Drainage is a great yeah, analogy. What's for the sure.
1: cholesterol? And I think that yeah. that's what Pennywise is—is is like the scum that survives from our, you know, systems that we build to be perfect that are hateful. Like, that have a in which a to remainder. raise children yeah. and have a nuclear family uh, that's healthy, which is not present in this movie, you know, like it's just yeah. not. And there I don't know. I when I saw that I was like, Oh, why is there so much water imagery? And why are people talking about water all the time? And so I may be late to the game, like I said, and people
0: may have like, yeah, of course, read I the haven't book. heard that take that's great I mean I have heard that take about the book but not about I've heard the take that like oh he lives in the sewers because that's where we flush the worst parts of ourselves but Mm -hmm. I never have heard it tied to like yeah dude that's why the blood comes out the sink that's why the showers get long that's why yeah I love the imagery of your main characters who are
1: eventually going to beat the water monster mm-hmm. to build a dam that's such a cool scene now to me yeah that like, is cool what is the thing that they're trying to do and i love how they go about building the dam too because like uh seth green at one point is like hey do you even know how to build a dam he's like no he's like but you think it's gonna work he's like yeah, it's gonna work and then they all go all right we're building a dam because they just believe like, it Pure it's, belief does
0: the damn, and yeah, it also defeats the a little diorama monster. foreshadowing what they're going to exactly. do. Exactly, yeah. and
1: that's that's good writing, actually, So, in it my is. opinion. Uh, you know what's not great writing is that <laughs>
0: bike riding montage. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, you mean the final moment? Shit. Uh, the final
1: moment where it freeze frames, but it's just over a Temptation song. God, it's just so cringy. Two grown men having fun like kids on a bike. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's or like so uh bizarre. well it just feels like the bike magically made her come out of a coma and I don't understand anything about why why <laughs> why, why would that do that? She's like let's just have a good little ride on this bike. <laughs> it's just so stupid. It's second it's... only to uh I got to say and it's a quoted scene often, well, it's big in our in my li- mind because of the Simpsons parody of it, but Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, cut that fucking bike ride scene. What the fuck is that bike <laughs> riding scene? This is second only to that as useless bike riding scenes, I would say, in movies.
1: It's so good.
0: I want to keep a running it's tally. So good. Keep a running tally. Uh, I don't need is- to see anyone riding their fucking bike except E.T., goddammit. God.
1: Yeah, E.T.'s the only bike that we'll accept anymore. Where it's
0: load-bearing. The plot hinged on it, yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Man, uh, what- do you know... <laughs> Before we got out of the it uh, episode, I wanted to definitely recommend a book by an author who, it turns, I found out recently, is a terrible guy. Yeah, not 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 full on like I not crimes that I know of, but I just mean like Orson Scott Card, like he's a bastard. He has uh, beliefs that are bullshit. Yeah, but like Dan Simmons, who wrote the Hyperion books, which are excellent, also wrote what is essentially a Stephen King ripoff that is very similar to it in almost every regard, but just all just as good I would say. It's a really fucking good book called Summer of Night. And I recommend people read Summer of Summer Night. Night. You will have flashbacks to it. It feels like a sound alike to it. <clears throat> do you ever watch Fast of Night? Yes, I did.
1: Okay, we gotta talk about that some point. Okay. Yeah, we all could right.
0: do an ep on it if you want, or I maybe when I'm visiting we can just chat about it because I'm interested yeah. to hear You never recommend movies. Yeah, I don't. To me. Not new movies. Like, watch this new movie that just came out. So I'm curious. Mm. Um, But Mm. not now. We should get to our final segment, which is The The List or something. (laughs) The
1: Stands. Time to make your stand. This is where we do a short review of Execution and we exist in our personal two brains as the kings in the king pantheon um we typically we're starting to build a system of how we do this we just kind of name them simultaneous is that how we doing it
0: yes and i am just loading up the list i realize i should start i should literally start a list on a notepad which i don't have yet
1: oh i got a notepad
0: baby <laughs> Oh, well, mine's identical to yours so far. So. Oh, we, yeah.
1: Since we last did it, which was Stand By Me, we were identical. So there's just, as every episode, I guess, one new addition. But right. so far, we're uh, five for five on our agreement. I think this is going to be the one that does it.
0: You think we'll disagree?
1: I think we'll probably have a small change, subtle difference. Okay. If
0: I was to bet. So if I was there's this it. is episode six, correct?
1: This is episode six.
0: So of all the Stephen King things we've covered so far, my least favorite, number oh, are six. are we starting
1: from bo- bottom and going to the top?
0: Yeah. I think, okay. You think it's more dramatic the other way?
1: I think just for this episode, it's more dramatic the other way.
0: Okay. So <laughs> number know one. that it's
1: not going to be the top three. Definitely. Number one, The shining. shining. Yeah. The Shining. Still the best.
0: Number two, Misery. Stand by me. I'm sorry. Stand by me. You're right. Yeah, you're right. I, was like, I didn't read the, the list properly. Yeah. Okay. Number stand three. Misery. Number three. Misery. Number four. Mist. The mist. Number, number five. five it.
1: it. Oh. Oh. We agree. We, we agree. It.
0: All right. All right. Never mind then. I'll tell you what swapped it for me at the last. Six. So number six. Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher. Yeah. What swapped it for me was this conversation. Uh, my gut oh, reaction good. to how I experienced the movie was that it was boring and it sucked and I hated it. But now the that we discussed better. it and lined up side by side, the work that they did, what did mm-hmm. line up and was competent, uh, I think Dreamcatcher is the more broken movie made by people I who think more so. deeply misunderstand storytelling.
1: Right, which is crazy because that was like Kazden and like be amazing yes, people. But
0: Dreamcatcher is like a drunken guy in a bar trying to ramble through a story and he just can't quite connect the dots.
1: <laughs> right. I think, uh, and Dreamcatcher has better acting as a whole, though Tim Curry, Tim Curry, Tim Curry puts everyone in the dust. And obviously more horrifying images because it was made more recently. So like the monsters are a little bit better. But it's slightly,
0: um, it's a more sound bass I just think, yeah, it the just tale, is a little more sound. The symbolism of the threat hidden in
1: plain sight and an Americana horror thing is what does it to me because personally I think, and I think I'm speaking for both of us because we placed it the same. Just it's such a nice trope. To be like, oh, the horror isn't a monster. The horror is inside the system. Uh, And that's just a great trick. So Dreamcatcher doesn't even try any of that shit. Dreamcatcher
0: is so unimportant, it has nothing to say. It's
1: just like, (laughs) in it, there is an attempt. (laughs) I agree. Dreamcatcher is just, you know, fear. Just like, look at this. Imagine being in a bathroom with some worms. And you're like, oh shit, that yeah, it
0: sucks. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I gotta sit on this toilet, but I gotta grab that cigarette. You grab do, you, do you have to? Do you have to, <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean Toothpick, yeah. whatever.
1: <laughs> Toothpick, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm glad uh, we're still in sync though. That's I'm great. glad we're still in sync, six for six. Yeah. Alright. One day it's gonna happen and then we're gonna I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna be like, Maybe we're losing maybe we've
0: gotten out of touch. <laughs> Any idea what we want to cover next? I don't know. Let's talk it through a little and see if we land on something. Okay. Um, I was thinking I could, Langoliers, maybe.
1: <laughs> Langoliers, yeah, we could do Langoliers. Or should we
0: do something we know is good now to get a palate cleanser? Uh,
1: I definitely want to stay away from some of the ones. Like heaviest hitters? Yeah, like let's not do... Let's not do. let not do Shawshank, Shawshank just yet. Just yet. Uh, but I don't want to do the shitty ones until like I feel like we mind it. Like we could do I, maybe a Carrie. We could do maybe. Yeah. let's do, We could, let's do a more recent one. Maybe. I've never know. seen
0: Pet Cemetery. I've never seen uh,
1: Creepshow, do
0: although I was a big fan of the comic. I could do
1: 1922 or like Doctor Sleep or. Uh, let's take a break. On Pet Cemetery also works.
0: Hmm, The Dark Tower, Now, Gerald's game was pretty good, the recent one.
1: Uh, I can't wait till
0: when we do Apt Pupil. I've never seen it.
1: Uh, there's somebody, there's so, The Lawnmower Man. I could Ooh, fuck with The Lawnmower I didn't man. know
0: they made No Smoking into a movie. I love, that's based on I the short story Quitter's Inc., that. which is one of my favorites by him. You want to see No Smoking by Anurag Kashyap? Sure, sure. We're going to do them. We're going to do them. Oh, this isn't. This would be a really interesting pick for this show, actually. It is an adaptation of a Stephen King work, but it's an Indian movie. Like, huh. it's not one that we would normally be on our radar, you know?
1: Hell yeah, let's do it! All right, that, let's that's do this. next episode. Next, next episode, month. we're
0: gonna do two thousand seven's "No Smoking" uh, by Anurag Kashyap, co-produced by Vishal Bhardwaj. I'll learn how to say his name by the time <laughs>
1: we'll figure it out <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. this is off the cuff we usually don't do this It's usually done by like text messages so uh, I'm glad we figured it out
0: <laughs> I'm trying to find ways to keep this and of course or you know this is an ex- I feels like a legacy show to Coen Brothers Brothers I just like keeping them different than frame rate however possible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. saying what we'll talk about next week is a way to do that hell yeah Okay, good. It doesn't look like it's like a Razzie. I was just double checking that it's like not going to waste everyone's time. But no, it won a number of awards.
1: Well, let's, hey, I want to jump into new fresh opportunities, new experiences, man.
0: It was considered much ahead of its time, courtesy of its dark and unusual storyline comprising elements of surrealism, fantasy, dream reality, horror, and dark humor, which left critics baffled. Yeah, it was frowned love- on by Indian audiences. Great, let's, let's I'm interested. Bollywood, very excited. Baby. Okay, so uh, join us next time for the no smoking episode. Um, we do love you. I promise to stream more in September, and I hope you'll join us and and chat back. I miss talking hey, to the beans.
1: Good job on your new show,
0: by the way. Which one? the science show science or whatever oh thanks dude yeah yeah it's good to have an excuse to talk to griffin oh god he's the best next episode of that will be him explaining why the sun should not physically <laughs> exist shouldn't
1: exist yeah. <laughs> yeah i think i think he's gonna backpedal on that one a little i think bit, he's gonna
0: convert me to christianity i think so i think, think, that's so. The goal. I think yeah. you're gonna be born again <laughs> after talking with griffin
1: Oh, uh, what a delight what a delight uh Thanks for
0: doing this. This is a good episode. I enjoyed yeah, talking was a very good one. all the shit out. It turns out yeah, we were scared for nothing. Uh unpacking bad ones is just as fruitful as unpacking good ones, which is a relief. Yeah. I don't we'll usually, find usually do that. To say. Yeah.
1: Well, until next time, I guess. Aww. Right?
0: I love you, buddy. Love you too, man. Bye. Bye.